Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. A year ago today, none of us would have dreamt this is what our world would look like. I, we, not a year ago, six months ago. In February, none of us dreamt our world was going to look like this six months later. The world has absolutely changed in six months, and it's coming at a, uh, an escalated pace. And I believe we'll continue to, we're going to see changes in our world. And I mean, uh, in February, we never thought we would be reading the stories or seeing the stories in the news about the United States of America that we're seeing right now. So what to do when your world gets rocked? When you get a phone call that maybe includes the word cancer or Alzheimer's or tumor or COVID-19 for that matter. When your boss calls you in and he begins by saying, I'm sorry, but we're having to cut back. When your spouse walks out the door, when someone you dearly love passes away, or when some uh, awful accident happens and in a matter of minutes your entire future changes. What do you do when something rocks your world and it feels like it's just falling apart? This is, I believe, the, the exact same question that most likely a guy named Jeremiah asked thousands of years ago. Jeremiah a major prophet in the Old Testament times in Israel. And during his lifetime, he witnessed Israel just decimated. Here's a few things that was going on in Israel during his lifetime. The nation was in a huge economic tailspin. Hmm. The land was constantly under attack from a foreign enemy, Those of you who don't think we are, you need to open your eyes. That's all I'll say about that. They actually came in and they took people out of Israel to work as slaves in other countries. Jeremiah witnessed all kinds of atrocities and just inhumane things that were being done to the people of Israel. Most people had no work. Many were starving to death, and the city of Jerusalem was basically dying. And during this horrific time, Jeremiah wrote two books that are, became a part of the Bible. First, of course, is Jeremiah, but the second one is the one I want to talk about this morning. He wrote a little short five-chapter book called Lamentations. Who remembers that one? Lamentations. Not a lot of people spend much time reading Lamentations, I'm just telling you. Because if you're not depressed when you start reading it, by the time you're a couple chapters in, you probably are. But let me first begin by asking, what is a lamentation? You know, this lamentation is not a word that we use much in our you know, English language today. But lamentation, it's an old English word that basically means to complain. Did you know that? They could have called this the book of complaints. Because that's pretty much what it is. To lament is basically to complain. You know, when we unload our sins to God, that's called confessing, isn't it? When we unload our complaints to God, it's really called lamenting. 
So as I said, the book of Lamentations is not super uplifting, feel-good kind of book. For the most part, it's kind of depressing. Except there's a little part right in the middle of the whole thing where Jeremiah actually gives this very positive message on what we should do when we experience our world being rocked and how to rebuild our lives and keep things from falling apart. There's only five chapters, as I said, in the entire book of Lamentations. We're only going to look at chapter three today because the other ones just keep you depressed. But we're going to go through chapter three. We're going to look at six really important lessons that Jeremiah learned about dealing with a broken world. And my hope, my hope is that your world is not being rocked too awfully hard by some storm, although with everything that's going on in the world right now, as I said, I don't know anyone whose world is not being rocked to some extent. But what I am saying, even if everything see, you know, isn't completely crazy in your life right now, you need to listen to this message this morning because I believe the day is coming for all of us when we're going to feel like things are being rocked like we haven't seen it before. But I want to also say we don't have to live in fear of that. We just need to be prepared. We don't have to live in fear if we have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, feel free to be scared to death. That's all I'm saying. So here we go with Jeremiah 3.1. The first lesson we, uh, uh, the first chapter, uh, third chapter, I'm sorry. The first lesson we learn is this. Number one, when my world gets rocked, the first thing I should do is give my frustrations, or in other words, my complaints to God. Step one is to always tell God exactly how you feel. You say, well, I can't do that all the time because sometimes I'm really upset with him and I, you know, I can't be telling him that. Sure you can, because he already knows, right? Be honest how you feel. You might be angry at God. Just tell him that you're angry. He can take it. He'll appreciate your honesty rather than you being angry at him and just keeping it, thinking you're keeping it your little secret. Don't think you shouldn't tell God that, how you feel, because he already knows you're mad at him. Jeremiah is incredibly bold with God in this particular book. I mean, when you read through it, it's just you scratch your head thinking, this dude was saying this to God? He just tells God that he is pretty much fed up with life. Enough is enough. He's basically saying, I don't like the way I'm being treated by you. Pretty bold, don't you think? I mean, he just unloads both barrels on God. Let me read a few verses and you'll see this is just a few verses. Lamentations 1, uh, 3, 1 through 9. Jeremiah says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. Me, me, me. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me and again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. Well, I'm with him there. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. Man, is this somebody unloading on God? 
He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains and though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. Don't you find that surprising that that's in the Bible? Someone calling out God like that? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Jeremiah does this for most of these five chapters. He's just really complaining to God and and letting him know that he thinks his life just absolutely stinks and it's God's fault. Man, I'm glad none of us have ever done anything like that. Gotten angry at God. Now here's a good question, I think. Why in the world would God put all of this railing against him in the Bible? Did you ever ask yourself that? Why did you even put this in here, God? Well, I think it's because God wants all of us to know that if we get angry with God, we're not going to be the first ones. We're still normal, But we really just need to be honest with God because we're not fooling him by trying to hide it. It's time for a conversation with him, not a time to run from him and just sit in a corner and be mad at him. Because we're angry at God because he's done something wrong in our life, right? But if you hang in there long enough, you'll find out God was right all along. That's always going to be the way it works out. So he can handle your gripes about life. God is strong enough, and sometimes he allows us to just blow off a little steam. I mean, look what he allowed Jeremiah to say to him. Now, here's something else that I believe. If you don't talk out your emotions with God, pretty soon it's going to take a toll on you, even physically, physically and spiritually. You know, when you just swallow all of your anger and frustration in life, it just does a number on you physically. The number one cause of death in America is heart attacks. And the number one cause of heart attacks is stress. And when you bottle up anger and frustration and anxiety, it creates stress in your life. So I'm telling, it's a serious thing to not talk these things out with God when you're feeling upset about something. Have you, how many of you have ever said to yourself, oh, you know, whatever the situation, well, this is just a real pain in the rear end. How many of you ever said that? Or some variation of that? Shame on you. You know how that pain got there? You swallowed it. Think about this for a minute. How that pain got down there is you swallowed it and it just worked its way down there. You know, sometimes pain stops in the neck, right? But sometimes it travels further south. If you allow it. Every time you swallow your negative thoughts and emotions, it takes a toll on you physically and spiritually. And so God is saying, listen, I already know how you feel, so just be honest about it. I can't really work with you until you're going to be honest with yourself and with me. There you go. If we're upset with God, we obviously want something to change in our life. We'd like him to do something different. And yet he's saying, I can't even work with you if you're not going to be honest with yourself and with me. So he's just be honest. Verses 17 and 18, Jeremiah says this. 
I cannot find peace or remember happiness. Wow. I tell myself, I am finished. I can't count on the Lord to do anything for me. This guy, he's bold, isn't he? That's how he feels, but he's, boy, he's being amazingly honest. It's just uh, incredible how blunt he's being with God. But have you ever felt that way? You know, like telling God, you know, God, I've had enough. How many of you have ever been there before? You're just telling God, I've had enough. Usually when we get to that attitude, I've just had enough, we, we learn life lessons the hard way. You know, there's a story in the Roberts family. I love this story because it's one of the few that is not about me. My mom has told this story down through the years when my oldest sister, Linda, she's about six years older than me. I wasn't around. When Linda was just a little toddler, a little just, you know, just walking around and couldn't really talk much, just a wee little thing. Whenever she didn't get her way, she did something that scared my mother to death. She would, if she wanted something and, and she didn't get it, she would just throw herself down on the floor, face down, and she'd start banging her head against the floor. And it was giving my mom a you know, heart attack almost, just scaring her to death. And so when the time came for her to take Linda in to the doctor for a routine exam, she said, and doctor, let me tell you something. She begins to tell him this story. So when this girl doesn't get her way, she throws herself on the floor and starts banging her head hard on the floor. It's just scaring me. The doctor said, Betty, this is back when doctors called you by the first name. Said, Betty, you don't need to worry about this. At one point, she's going to do this, and when it hurts, she'll stop. She'll learn a lesson. You don't have to worry about it. So one day, my mom was... Uh, down doing the laundry and had Linda with her. They were down in the basement and Linda wanted something and she did up in the Midwest, we have basements up there. She didn't get what she wanted and man, she threw herself on the floor and boom. Now the difference was the upstairs was carpeted. <laughs> and when she banged her head on that concrete, my mom says she never did it again. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how smart we humans are? How quickly we learn things about life, you know? So I'm sure when Linda would go into these fits, I doubt if it made my mom feel like uh, uh, Linda's tantrums were specifically her fault. As adults, we realize that kids are not as mature as us, and sometimes they got some learning to do, and so we're not offended or too shook up when they, you know, pitch a little tantrum. And as parents, we certainly don't love them any less because of their tantrum, right? So what God, God says it's okay when we unload our feelings on him and we're being completely honest. He knows how immature we all are. And so when we do it, he doesn't love us any less because he just knows how immature we are. He still accepts us, but at least we're honestly expressing ourselves, right? So that's actually step one to recovery when your world is being rocked. You know, giving these, giving these things over to the Lord. 
The second thing is I must turn my focus from pain to God's love. I have to turn my focus from all my pain that I feel I'm going through to the love of God for me. I might be angry with God about something, but I still need to kind of shift my focus to the fact that He loves me immeasurably. As long as I keep my mind on my own pain and anger and frustration, frustration, nothing is ever going to change. Nothing's going to get solved. Verse 19, Jeremiah said, The thoughts of my suffering and homelessness are bitter beyond words. Wow. Notice that he said, the thoughts. You know, we've been talking about the fact throughout this uh, entire series that this invisible war that we all fight, it always begins right here. Right here, right? It always begins with our thoughts. His thoughts of pain, in his own words, are like a bitter poison. Remember what we've said in the past about bitterness? Bitterness is a poison that we drink hoping it's going to hurt somebody else. Doesn't even make sense, does it? He goes on in verse 20 to say, I will never forget this as I grieve over my loss. Jeremiah is saying that he just cannot stop thinking about his bitterness. And now he's just all depressed. Well, of course he's depressed. All he thinks about is his bitterness, right? You never start to heal until you stop the bitterness. You're not going to heal until you learn to forgive. Jeremiah is saying, the longer I think about this, the more depressed I'm getting. Well, duh. Then change what you're thinking about. Right? This is not brain surgery. If what you're thinking about is keeping you depressed and angry and frustrated, then think about something else. Think about something that is good, right, and true. In verse 21, Jeremiah, he finds the switch where he's able to turn his focus from his pain to God's love. He says, Yet this I call to mind, speaking of God's love, and therefore, I have hope. In other words, hope returns as he's able to change his thoughts. Verses 22 and 24 says, the faithful love of God never ends. This is the most cheeriest part of this whole book of Lamentations. I'm about to give you the cheery part, okay? The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, in him, I will put my hope. Isn't it amazing that even though he's all upset, he's all depressed, he's railing on God, yet the whole time he really knows the truth inside there. But he still kind of let his flesh rise up and get the best of him. Who has ever done that? We know about God's love, and yet sometimes we get so angry with him. Fortunately, he never shuts us out. He just waits for us to kind of come to our senses. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, even when you're railing against God, he still loves you. His unfailing love is just fresh as the sunrise every day. 
It's, it's miraculous is what it is. Because I know me, and God knows you, and I'm just saying, it's miraculous. <laughs> Jesus is saying, the Lord is all I need, so I'm going to place my trust in him, and that is the point we have to get to. Here's the truth I want you to hear if you hear nothing else this morning. Is everybody ready to hear? Oftentimes, people don't realize that God is all they need until God is all they've got. I'm going to say it again. Too often, people don't realize that God is all they need until God is all they've got. When people lose everything, they begin to realize that now God is the only thing they've got, and that's when they also realize God was all they ever needed in the first place. So step one to unload our frustrations uh, uh, is to unload our frustrations on God. Secondly, we remind ourselves of how much God always loves us, and we focus on his love instead of our problem. And then we come to step three, get alone with God and wait. Waiting before God is absolutely a spiritual discipline that most of us do not like because we don't like to wait on anything. We live in a society that is all about anti-waiting. How many of you have ever gotten into a fast food line and you're sitting there and you decide, this is ridiculous, there's six cars in front of me, and you just leave? The fast food is not fast enough because we must have our fast food right now. We get frustrated. You shouldn't even call this fast food. You should call it uh, fairly lengthy food. We're in a hurry, right? Get alone with God and wait. We need to learn to wait before God or else we're going to be stressed out most of our life. It's usually fairly easy to differentiate between people who know how to wait on God and those that do not. Those who don't know how to wait on God, they're just anxious and, uh, you know, just upset all the time. They can't be still. They can't let go of things. Waiting on God involves two things. You want to know what they are? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway, even though nobody said yes. Waiting on God involves two things. Sitting down and shutting up. That's it. It means you have to be quiet for a while and just listen to hear God's still, small voice. That's how it's defined and described in his word. He doesn't shout at you. Anytime you feel God is shouting at you, you really need to be careful because it's a good chance that's not God. Because he normally speaks to us in a still, small voice, which is why most of the time we don't hear him. Because we don't have time to wait. And so... Here's the thing. If you're not used to listening to God's voice, you probably won't even recognize it. You won't hear it at all. Most people are just way too busy making a racket to hear God's still small voice. But if you'll spend some time with God each day, talking with him and more importantly, listening for him, you will be able to hear his still small voice speaking to you. It's important for you to read your Bible and spend time in prayer and talk to God, but it is just as important to sit down 
and shut up and just listen. See what he wants to say to you. Verse 28 and 29. Here's what Jeremiah wrote. When we suffer, we should sit alone in silent patience. How many of you know that when you're suffering, sitting in silent patience is about the last thing in the world you're interested in doing? You're all about something changing and something changing right now and you're in a hurry and you're anxious. Man, here's, here's the secret Jeremiah is talking about. When we suffer, we should sit alone in silent patience. We should bow in submission for there, for there may still be hope. The most common reason that people feel hopeless is because they will not wait on God. They, they don't wait on hope from God. God tries to talk to us all the time, but quite often... Our circuits are all busy. We're on the phone. We're on the iPad. We're watching TV. We're listening to radio. We're, we're doing something. In order to focus on God, we're going to have to eliminate some of those distractions in our life. That verse says for us to sit alone in silent patience. That's a big problem for a lot of people. Because two things that people don't like are being alone and then worse, being patient. People, hey, who knows what I'm talking about? Let me see your hand. Come on, hurry up, hurry up. I don't have all day up here. <laughs> How many of you don't like to be patient? <laughs> I want to challenge you to do something new this week. For the next seven days, I challenge you to sit alone quiet for 10 minutes every day and ask God, say, Lord, is there something you want to say to me? Just sit there and be quiet for 10 minutes. I guarantee before long, you're going to hear him talking to you. We've got to slow things down and be quiet before the Lord for our focus to be able to shift. Otherwise, we're just kind of in high gear all the time. And all we're hearing is the racket that we're mostly creating. Does that make sense? So back, we, we back up a couple of verses. In verse 25 and 26, Jeremiah says this. The Lord is good to everyone who trusts in him. So it is best for us to wait in patience, to wait for him to save us. Rather than the first thing we usually want to do is try to work everything out ourselves. That word wait is very important in life. Before you go out and try to straighten out all of your problems yourself, just try waiting on God to speak to you. We always lose the battle when we try to do it all ourselves. Has anyone noticed that? You try to do it all yourself, you lose. We need to learn to wait on God and follow and operate in his timing and in his way. Then while you're waiting, we come to the fourth step. I change the things that I can change. That's important to understand that principle. Something we all need to be aware of is that there are a lot of things in life that we are not going to be able to change. You can't change your past. You can't change who your parents are. You can't change the abilities that God has given you. You can't change other people's personalities. There's just a whole bunch of things in life you can't change no matter how hard you try. 
Now here's another truth. And that is there are some things in life that the only way to overcome them is to accept them. Now here's what I mean by that before you take that too far. There are a lot of psychological, psychologists, counselors, they refer to this as the principle of submission or the principle of acceptance. And here's what it means. Peace will only come in your life when you're able to accept the things that you cannot change. If all you're going to do in life is just keep shouting to God, you know, this is not fair, life's not fair, life's not treating me fair. Sometimes we sound like a six-year-old, don't we? Then you're just going to make your life miserable because I'm telling you there's going to be a whole lot of things that happen in your life that are absolutely not fair. Get ready. But you have no control over them. A big part of living by faith is learning to accept facts without being discouraged by them. You know, you need an attitude that says, man, I tell you, it seems bad right now, but this thing is not going to beat me. I'm not going to let go of what God has for my life. But while I accept the things that can't be changed, I am going to change the things that can be changed. You see, a lot of times we fret about all the things in life that we cannot change, but we don't even give much thought to the things we could change, but we just don't bother with it. And the, the, thing, the one thing you have the most control over changing in life is you. You can change you. You probably won't change anyone else, so stop trying so hard. But you, by allowing God to work in and through you, you can change you with his help. You're not going to change your husband. You're not going to change your wife. You're not going to change your boss. The only really, the person you can really change the way you want them to be is you. Here's the mindset. Even though my world is being rocked, how can I be better instead of bitter? How can I be better instead of just being bitter? At this point, you have to do a very honest gut check evaluation in your life, kind of a relational inventory, so to speak. You have to ask yourself, there's things that need to change. Let me look at myself first. How's my relationship with God, number one? How's my relationship with my spouse and my, and my kids? How is my relationship with my boss and my coworkers? Do a moral inventory. What habits and hangups are hurting my life that I have? What are some sins that I know keep knocking me down? And just be honest about it. Talk to God about it. You have to do a very honest evaluation of your life so that you can change the things that need to be changed. Listen to what Jeremiah says in verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways. He's doing a self-check here. Let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to God. What's the answer always going to be? Turning back to God. 
The bottom line is, change the things you can change, but stop fretting over all the stuff you can't. God will handle the stuff that you can't. Just give it to him. Save yourself a lot of stress and frustration. Amen? That brings us to step number five. Ask God to relieve your fear. I would say without a doubt, the most damaging emotion that we humans have is fear. Man, fear will absolutely paralyze a person. Jeremiah knew all about fear, I guarantee you. You know, at one point, the people had gotten sick of his uh, 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 of his uh, shouting, repent of your sins. You know, that's what prophets do. They got sick of hearing about him. And they got sick of him. And you know what they did? They, big, they dug a big deep pit and they threw him down in there. And then they started throwing big rocks on top of him. Now I'm telling you, that will put some fear into you. But in verse 55, we see what Jeremiah said. He says, but I called on your name from deep within the pit. You heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called and you told me, do not fear. God wants us to be free from fear. The more fear we have in life, the less faith we have in life. I want you, to, you need to understand that. Fear pushes faith out of your life. Faith pushes fear out of your life. That's how that works. Satan knows uh, that if he can just get us fearful, boy, he's got us right where he wants us. One of the biggest fears that people have is when their life starts to fall apart, they're not going to be able to get it back together. But God says, don't fear, trust in me. It's that fear that all your best days are kind of behind you, and now it's all downhill from here. God says we don't have to live with that fear. He says, in fact, most of our fears are not even real, and how many of you are wise enough that you've discovered that in life? Most of the things that you spend your time being all fearful about never even happen. Somebody came up with a great acronym for fear. I don't know who's, what. I, I just found this and I liked it. Acronym for fear. False evidence appearing real. But it's all false. That's the type of fear Satan loves to put in our lives, doesn't he? He knows he has no power over children of God unless he can get them to start to doubt God in their life. Then fear will consume us if he can get us there. Jeremiah had a pretty legitimate fear. People throwing big rocks down on his head is uh, it's a legitimate fear, but he cried out to God and God did what? Heard him. God's one simple instruction was do not fear. The last step in rebuilding a life that's being rocked is this. Expect God to restore your life. Here is a truth I mean you can bet your life on. If you'll be faithful to God, God will be even more faithful to you. That's the way it always works. If we'll be faithful to God, he always shows himself even more faithful in our lives. Jesus specializes in fresh starts. In, in verse 24, Jeremiah says, Deep in my heart I say, the Lord is all I need. I can depend on him. So what's the secret? When you've been thrown down into that pit 
and the big rocks, they're raining down on you. And you feel like there's just absolutely no hope. We need to stop. We need to do what Jeremiah did. We need to say, let's all say this together. Deep in my heart, I say the Lord is all I need. I can depend on him. I didn't do a very good job of leading that because everybody was kind of doing that. But we got through it. I can depend on him. How many of you, the, the, the key to this whole thing is being able to completely trust and depend on God. And I'm telling you, times are coming in our world where we're going to need the one thing, that, the only thing that's going to get us through is being able to fully trust God and to depend on him. And we need to start preparing ourselves with that mindset. Amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.